Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Modern Data Show. And today we have Igor Lukanin, who is the head of developer relationship at Cube. Cube is a headless BI tool that empowers business to build powerful, fast and consistent data applications. At Cube, Igor is leading the team which is responsible for the growth and adoption of the Cube platform. He has helped Cube flagship's open source product earn 7,000 community members in Slack and 14,000 stars on GitHub while driving the company from seed to series A in less than one year. Welcome to the show, Igor. Hey, thanks for having me. Perfect. So, Igor, let's just start with basics. So, tell us a little bit more about Cube and your role as a head of developer relationships at Cube. My job is just basically... You know, it's making technology accessible to data engineers and application developers. And here at Cube, we have this mission to to supply the data engineers with with the tools that will put would help them build powerful, fast, performed data applications. And that requires boarding data engineers and net developers to to a whole bunch of new new concepts. What I'm doing on a daily basis, what my team is doing, basically making sure that every data engineer or app developer has the tools to build modern modern data apps. We're doing through blogging, through participating in in events, committing to 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 open source, and just doing whatever we can to spread the word about the modern data stack, how to build modern data. Right. And uh, let's go a little bit deeper in terms of the Cube as a product. Like if you were to explain it to someone, you know, as a beginner, like what does Cube as a platform does, as a product does, how would you explain that? We refer to Cube as a headless business intelligence or just headless BI. And that might be quite an unusual term like like what do, what do you mean by headless and if if we try to to pick an analogy from their software engineering world the coolest one would be you know there's just other um headless tools or headless technologies like say headless cms this is this is your content management system that would uh happily store all their kind of information that you might want to display on your website and the mobile app but that would deliberately just skip the task of visualizing of displaying the data because that that that's done by you know by a blogging platform by a custom front end application that you might want to build on top of that but that headless CMS wouldn't be doing that and uh, just just to, just building on that analogy the headless BI is a business intelligence tool that deliberately refuses to take part in in data presentation and data visualization and for reason. Because right now we see the kind of proliferation of tools in, in the data stack. So when we talk about data consumers, right? So just go to their modern data stack repository. You'll meet kind of BI tools, kind of full-fledged BI tools. You, you'll see their data notebooks or data workspaces, as some, as some folks call them. You'll see even things like spreadsheet-based BIs, right? And, and other stuff. Nowadays, if we, if we take... Any company, even very really small ones, will see that there are a lot of teams with distinct needs who want to use different tools. It's not kind of the story that one size or one PI tool fits all needs, right? So data analysts would, would love to use tools like Jupyter or Dignote or Hacks to crunch the data and dig for insights. And business users, they just might want to have their dashboards, right? That in the same company, product engineers, they might want to build the product using that data for the end user of the company. So we see that folks with different needs that would use their own tools to, to access the data. 
And the goal of our headless BI solution would be to deliver the data to those apps. And that's a tiny bit of what a headless BI tool might do, because before the data is delivered to the data consumers, you can do a lot of valuable things with that. And a couple of things that I would mention right now would be, we will be organizing the data into the matrix definitions or just doing data modeling, as we call it, and also, and also making sure that the data access would be, will be performant. If you, if, if you ask me, like, what's their single value that the headless BI, that the headless BI tool provides, I would say consistency, because it takes a day or a week to, to build a data pipeline and deliver data to the consumer. But it also takes weeks or months in, or even more to regain the trust from your business users from end users if your data pipeline is flawed. So it's crucial to deliver consistent data that just makes sense, you know, and there's just the same in different data consumers. And and, and also it, it's crucial to make sure that whatever whatever BI tool you're using, the dashboard would be appearing within seconds, not like minutes. And also their the front end apps would be would be performant, would be responsive to something that their end users would be careful freaked out, you know, using them. And that's that's exactly, that's a level of consistency in terms of what data you're getting, the consistency in terms of the performance that you're getting. That's what a headless BI tool may bring. So before we even, uh, you know, uh, kind of dive deeper into the technical components of, you know, this headless BI tool, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of headless BI, right? So I think so one of the widest known commercial implementation or the early version of headless VI is something that we can attribute to look ML, right? So looker was one of the, you know, there were, there were, there were certain, you know, like SAP BOs was also kind of an implementation of headless VI. But I think so from a popularity perspective, I don't think so there is anything as popular as, you know, look ML in recent days. This concept has been around for a while, right? You know, even the concept of headless CRM, headless CMS, all of those headless stuff is, is there for a while. Why do you think it's a need for a tool? Why should anyone care about headless BI now? You know, you mentioned consistency, right? But from a, the whole modern data stack perspective, why should anyone care about headless BI now? Yeah, well, that's that's a lot to unpack here. So let's let's, yeah. let's just go one by one. So first of all, I yeah, I would like to recommend everyone learn more about the kind of historical perspective on the headless BI and semantic layers and the metric stores and that kind of stuff. I would I would like to recommend the recent blog post by Simon Spotty from Airbyte. It's called The Rise of Semantic Layer. And I, I believe that that might provide that kind of his, historical perspective on the topic. What Looker did was one of the most impactful steps, impactful things to popularize the a kind of the semantic layer. I would say that for the current generation of data practitioners and data engineers, Looker is a way to to def- to define metrics because it popularized language like LookML, right? Where you can where you can declaratively define what you want to calculate, what you want to do on top of your of your data, which can derive from that, and that's. I would I would say it's very catchy concept because because otherwise you need to resort to inappropriate means to define your metrics. We know that there's kind of a whole category of tools like Dreamio that in a way are solve the same problem, kind of 
allowing to, to get the access to diverse data stored in different data sources. You can certainly build something that can be called kind of a, semant- a semantic layer using those tools. However, you it will, it will certainly lack this kind of the property of what Looker, for example, could provide where, where your metrics are defined declaratively what, what in, in your data model. But yeah, the role of Looker is undeniable here. I've been kind of in the most conversations with Looker users, and they were kind of 100%, like 200% happy with the way they can declare metrics, the way they can explore them, but totally unhappy with the way the data is visualized there. So it's kind of an uncomfortable vendor locale where you definitely love a part of what you're getting from the tool, but you hate how the data is accessed there. And that's what a lot of tools in the kind of headless BI category are, are trying to do right now while retaining this ability to define metrics in declarative way to provide the performance to provide the consistency. We see the rise of semantic layer or just a lot of lot of buzz around headless BI tools. And a couple of episodes back on this podcast, you were talking about the real-time data stores, right? Like like Red Panda, Materialize, and Kafka, etc. We you know we have a lot of um, cloud-based data warehouses like like Snowflake, BigQuery, and like Redshift, etc. Where 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 the data is stored, and a lot of other options like analytical databases, etc. A lot of other options to um, to collect the data, to store it, to 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 keep it after the transformation, and and that's kind of the first the first the first part. The second part, and, and I've been tackling this, so I won't be kind of repeating that part. But we we've got a lot of different means to consume the data. We've got a lot of users, a lot a lot of different teams within every company that would like to get their kind of to to to, to fulfill their own scenarios with with those tools. With the data delivered from from those data stores, and that kind of creates a, a situation of kind of of, of combinatory explosion, right? Because while well, one option is to to, to be building um, custom data pipeline, delivering the data from from data stores to to particular data consumers, but then you know you can only wish that the metric definition would be the same, and also it won't get out of sync while you're you're evolving the data pipelines. Uh, or the other option is to to seek the way to make sure that you still you'll still have your your data source in place, you still have your data transformation tools, you still have your ETL tools in the pipeline. You use all the consumers you'd like to, but somehow maintain the systematic definitions and ensure kind of consistent performance of, of the data access. And and that's exactly what the headless BI tools can can solve. And I believe like that's that's probably a debatable topic, but I believe that we'll we will be will be seeing kind of more categories in the in the data stack emerging. I wouldn't even refer this as a modern data stack because well now it's questionable what is modern and kind of what what comes after what. But there there would be a need for for glue or for for a middle layer to tie them all, and that would be where semantic layers or headless BI tools would fit perfectly. And uh, one uh, one other question that comes to my mind is, although the term, the headless BI, conceptually, it's very interesting, it's very promising, despite the technical and conceptual promising nature of headless BI, it's yet to see a lot of commercial validation from the market. What are your thoughts on that? Is headless BI still early? And a follow-up question to that is, DBT recently announced Semantic Layer. What are your thoughts on that? 
Cool. That's a cool question. So, well, in terms of their adoption and financial success, right, most of the information they have, it's about Cube. And I would say Cube users, which are self-hosting it or using the Cube Cloud, where they can just, you know, use Cube in a managed environment. From what I see, they're pretty much successful and they don't doubt they need the headless BI tool in their data stack. So that's for sure. And some of the numbers that you mentioned, like number of stars on GitHub, et cetera, that's obviously vanity metrics, but some sign of validation. It got it. Right, right. So yeah. that's, that's first. So as I said, I believe that headless BI is here to stay. And those data engineering teams who introduce... Uh, such a tool to their stack, they don't wish to kind of to get rid of it. You mentioned in the DBT semantic layer, and and I believe that every one of us were kind of really excited about their the recent announcement on on the colleagues conference. We should all be grateful to the DBT team for what they're doing to kind of socialize and popularize the the whole concept of of a semantic layer, right? Because this concept is still, I would say, really narrowly popularized, right? So I personally would love the kind of this way of thinking to become the norm. And yeah, I yeah. I really enjoy seeing that that's kind of that's catching up. Probably the last note that I want to make here is that I was really happy to see kind of uh, the DBT team sharing uh, some things that are there that are on their backlog, right? When they're thinking about there were questions about the performance of, of accessing the data through, through the semantic layer. There were questions about their support of different tools and different integrations. And well, that, that was that was really great to hear because I believe what they are building, that's pretty much consistent with what we have here at Cube, right? All, all those integrations and different scenarios of Cube support. So I really see the different headless BI tools and different semantic layers kind of converging to the same set, set of features, to the same solution that would naturally fit kind of in between the data consumers and the data source. You guys have work, done a lot of work around various components of a headless BI, you know, from, I think, so, you know, you have features and kind of support around the access control, caching, walk us through that. Tell, walk us through the, you know, first of all, the technical complexities around these things and how you guys have achieved all of that. Yeah, it's a cool question. And I can try to break down what we at Cube with the product and kind of present it as a, as a layers. But the thing is that kind of on the Cube side, and Cube as a product is available under open source license, which you can self-host, run it in Docker or Kubernetes, or you can you can use a hosted version in Cube Cloud. But there are not a lot of moving parts. So everything that I will be kind of referring to down the road, these are more logical parts, right? So it's it helps to think about Cube as a combination of four layers. This is the data modeling layer, the access control layer, the caching layer, and their API layer, and that's and they are even arranged in, in an order that you would probably use to configure them and to make sure the data from your data stores is delivered to data consumers. So the data modeling layer, this is well, this is just another term for metrics layer or semantic layer. So I believe what Cube has in its data modeling layer, this is very close to what you what you would probably do if you when you define their metrics in Looker or what you would do when you when you configure metrics in DBT semantic layer. So data modeling layer just the same thing. The goal here is to provide a way to declaratively define what kind what kind of quantitative data, what kind of metrics need to be calculated on top of data that you have in data warehouse. And the Cube's data modeling language is really similar 
conceptually to one of Looker, right? So, so you define just logical entities. We call them cubes that contain measures and dimensions. And measures are basically what you what you want to calculate. These are aggregates over your data, and dimensions are the qualitative characteristics of your data that you that you break your matrix with. And uh, yeah, and you can define it as many cubes as you want. You you can find joins between them and kind of model your domain with the cubes. So most of the times, you know, a cube might be defined as kind of to, ref to reflect a single table in the data warehouse. So just define it as like select star from, from, from table in the data warehouse, but it doesn't need to. So if you already have kind of a, a data transformation layer in front of you, most of your cubes might be just select star from table. And if you don't, you ask cube to model the cubes on top of pretty much any SQL that might you know get complex at times, but but still, if it makes sense for your for your business domain, then, then you should feel free to to do so. So that's data modeling. You make sure that you, you just have your measures and dimensions, and and you group them in logical entities, which are called cubes. And then you have your the access control layer, and it makes sense to kind of have this just next to data modeling because it allows to provide consistent access controls, right? So regardless of whoever would be accessing those metrics, a you know, data analyst from a data notebook or a CEO in a, in a, in a BI tool such as Metabase or Superset or Tableau, their query would need to pass through their access control layer. It would make sure that their own level security or role-based access would be enforced. Q provides provides tools to make sure that meta information is passed from the data consumers. So, so you can support all kinds of multi-tenancies in areas, right, where you have different groups of users or users with different roles. So so you can restrict access to certain metrics or to certain rows within the data warehouse within the tables in the data warehouse for, for some groups of users or for some users in particular and you know, allow some allow everything for, for, the, for the rest of them. And then there is this caching layer, which, and I, I'm not a fan of that of, the, of that title because I prefer this to, to be called the query acceleration layer. And the goal of that is to make sure that every query, which would be executed by cube, it can it can be fulfilled with, you know, a set period of time. So so most of the times it's just no more than two or 300 milliseconds. And cube allows for concurrencies up to, you know, 100 requests per second, you know, maybe 1,000 requests per second, no problem. And there is an amazing technology kind of under the hood of that. Probably it would, would take some time to kind of really dig deeper into this, but just... Uh, Deriving an analogy from what's currently hyped in the data community, I would just say that how the the caching layer is kind of built under the hood is really similar to how DuckDB works. So inside Cube, there is this custom-built data store. It's columnar storage, and there the only kind of prominent difference from DuckDB is that in Cube's case is distributed. So it allows to parallelize the, the calculations when you have lots of data, but the rest is the same. So it's a columnar store written in Rust. And what Cube does, have, having your metrics defined in the data modeling layer, just preemptively, uh, asynchronously caches that the data that would be needed to, to fulfill the request and just stores in the intermediate format in Parquet files. And inside Cube Store, there is a, I would say, proven technology is used. So as I said, they store the Parquet files. We have, we use Apache Arrow format to doing memory 
processing just basically the transfers of data. And we use Apache Arrow Data Fusion library to do the query orchestration and query planning. So this is, I would say this is more like gluing together some of their uh, well-known and kind of proven pieces of technology in, in the data space, right? And that, that allows basically any query which is incoming to cube to be fulfilled within two or 300 milliseconds. And here we come to the last piece. Well, from where these queries are coming, right? So the last piece is the API layer, and that's interesting. So um, in the very beginning, there were, Cube only had a single API, which was the REST API. And that one basically allows to, to access the data through HTTP uh, requests, right? That's, that's something that you would do when you're building a front-end app or if you're building some kind of automation, right, that would just do HTTP requests. But for more than a year already, Cube also has a couple of other APIs. Front-end developers right now, this is GraphQL, so Cube also has GraphQL API. But what I'm excited about is that for more than a year already, Cube also has a SQL API, right? And the SQL API that Cube provides is Postgres compliant. It just represents Cube as a Postgres database. And the cubes and measures and dimensions that you define in your data modeling layer, they would be available as Postgres tables and columns within those tables. So this is this is um, this is really great to have this part compatible with the most I would say the most widespread, the most popular kind of wire protocol, the most and, and being represented as the most popular database out there in mean, Postgres because that instantly gives to connect Cube to whatever tool you have if that tool supports Postgres, right? So I remember when we just launched our SQL API, we, we tested it with Apache Superset, which, which is an open source, really cool BI platform. And it is yeah. work, right? So you take Metabase, take Power BI, take Tableau, take whatever, whatever, whatever you have. And if your tool can interface with Postgres, it can talk to Cube. And it means that your data can be driven from Cube to the tool. And and as I said, all those kind of access control configuration and also whatever you configured in the caching layer, that would, would take effect as well. So yeah, and here we come to, to understanding. So if you have Cube in your data pipeline, that, that basically you have universal connectivity to whatever data stores you have, and you have consistency for the dramatic definitions and the performance of the queries, and you can connect it to literally every tool out there that you have to display or represent your data. Uh, ain't it amazing? Wow, that's that's super insightful, Igor, and I, I can totally relate why the SQL interface could be so game-changing for you, because I see you have integration with Hex, Deep Note, Streamlit, and all of these integrations are like the, you know, our native database database or data warehouse integration that you can just easily support off the off the shelves. Any new integrations or any future integration that you are really excited about? Uh, well, I'm still excited about because it's what we recently launched. So a few weeks ago, we launched our integration with Kafka through KSQL DB. So KSQL DB is it's really similar to Materialize the way it's a streaming database, right? Um, designed to work with Kafka. So the Cube's integration with, with KSQL DB allows to just basically connect Cube to a stream or a Kafka topic and calculate metrics, which would be just instantly up to date. Their delay or latency between the new data being posted to a topic and to, to the data appearing on your dashboard or in the front end top, that would, would be just seconds. And 
everything that we've been we talking about there, uh, the data modeling of the access control that, that applies as well. And what, what, why I'm excited about that in particular is because that, that integration also gave Cube the ability to introduce a couple of other uh, features a couple, or enable a couple of other. So something that we're really happy to kind of finally deliver. This is the implementation of Lambda architecture within Cube. So I'm not sure if you know, well, everyone's kind of uh, uh, familiar with this concept, but basically Lambda architecture is just being able to process both batch data and streaming data. So basically what, what Cube is now is capable to do is to be merging in real time while you're querying Cube data from data warehouses and, and streaming databases. And that would be kind of completely transparent to data consumers. And also, well, not everyone has Kafka or Red Panda or streaming data stores in their pipelines, but probably a lot of folks have data warehouses or data lakes where some of the data is kind of pre-transformed and pretty much not changing all the time, but there is fresh data, which is incoming kind of on a real-time basis. And what, what Cube can do, it can it can also kind of merge the page the streaming data in this, from the same or different data warehouses. And that will, will give you ability to say, read only kind of the last kind of piece of data, probably in the last five minutes, the last 10 minutes of data in your data warehouse, and calculate the metrics while joining the rest of the data that was already kind of ingested and pre-cached within queue. So basically, you get it, you, you, with, with this, you get the ability to kind of query your billions or trillions of rows of data while paying only for, you know, you know, it's the data houses, they're mostly consumption based, right? So you see, so, so you, you need to pay for what you read from them, right? But uh, this you, you can, you know, access metrics calculated on all your data, including the most recent real time part of it, while paying only for access in the last five minutes or last 10 minutes. So this is a new scenario that's enabled by Cube. Speaking about kind of new integrations, et cetera, I would certainly love to see more data engineers, data analysts trying to connect with tools that they have to Cube and just getting some experience about that and then sharing that in our Slack community. That would be fantastic. That would be amazing. Perfect. I just saw on the website that you have guys have recently introduced views for metric management and I I think so you would be hosting a workshop on that also so oh, um yeah that's a cool but might be a tough one to unpack kind of concise so let me let me approach it this way i think that one of the way to think about this and this is how our cto prefers to use is just use make the data modeling clear that you has complete kind of enabling the very last scenarios which 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 might be you know Mm, not that very frequent, but that we needed to, to implement as well. But kind of in layman terms, they allow you to create another level on top of your uh, existing semantic layer. So if you have kind of cubes that contain measures and dimensions, you can create views on top of them that would be picking only certain measures and dimensions from the cubes that you have. And then you're able to, to organize them in a way that those kind of th those views make sense for particular use cases so can allow you to make it even more semantic if you need to use are completely opt-in so if you don't need it don't use them but if you really want to uh, make sure that what data is incoming to your bi what is available in your bi tool what's available in your data notebook it really kind of makes sense on your domain level that you can model them with cube with, with views and also and also what use does, they allow to 
kind of remake it evident what all metrics are available to different groups of users that you have. So just another another means to do that. Access control. And probably the last thing here, which is really which is really something that the, in the talks in the data community recently, it just views in the cube way to find kind of the single measure metric. So there's a lot of kind of conversations about what a metric is, right? Is this is it just, you know, some kind of a number that you can fetch from somewhere? Or when you break it down by some dimensions, is it still the same metric? Or is it another one? Or when you change the, the granularity of a time dimension again, is it the same metric or just, just another one? So with views, that can be really neatly yeah. organized with Cube. And, uh, uh, and hopefully, you know, for those ones who are, you know, interested, I'll be able to unpack this and kind of show this and demo this in the upcoming webinar that we have in a few weeks next week, right? So so yeah, tune in if you if you'd like to learn. Perfect. Perfect. So thank you. Thank you so much, Igor, for such a lovely episode recording. I think so there were a lot of things that we learned about Headless BI today. So thank you very much for sharing all of that as with us. It was such a pleasure having you on the show. Igor, Amazing. Thank you so uh, much for joining Thank us. you. And uh, hopefully, hopefully that will give their data engineers and analysts and app developers kind of, you know, some, some, some thought fuel, right? And would allow all of us to build better that apps. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. Thank you so much, Igor.